0: Break out. Break out. Middle school is there high school? Middle school and high school. Mamma Stia compañía. Go. It's, um, I love it when dogs come to church. There's something about that that just separates us immediately from other churches that feels free, freeing. And, uh, yeah. So anyway, those donuts were hiding back there, weren't they? They weren't out on the table. Goodness gracious. Well, um, if you've come to church in the last five weeks, uh, my name is Antley and, uh, Good to see you all, um, be back here. I've, I've been on um, vacation for uh, several of those weeks, and I was speaking um, at, at one of our church plants, kind of in the middle of my vacation up in Charlotte, and then another one we're thinking about starting in Los Angeles um, two weeks ago. It's just amazing to see a, a sister, kind of a group of churches that have started out of the, um, with the understanding that uh, we want to be a church that brings freedom, hope, and life where there isn't any, where there's religion we want to bring. You know, we just want to bring re- a reality that is, is is transforming lives. We want our measuring stick not to be the size of our budget or the number of people that come to church. But our measuring stick, uh, we believe, in the kingdom of God is transformed lives, period. And uh, if, if people's lives are continuing to be transformed, then I'll have a job. And so that's what we continue to seek after, and our staff, you know, while I was gone, you know, didn't miss a beat. They did a phenomenal job. It's so exciting to see God just raising up people in our church and the leadership and um, on staff, but also volunteers, and, and uh, yeah, so I just want to thank everyone while I was gone for, for what they've done and allowing me to be away with my family and be restful and recovered. Um, upon returning, we have the ugly, um, well, not the ugly, that's a kind of a strong word, but we have the rude awakening of an English person coming back. And being with us, Gareth Dickinson was here last week, and he'll be speaking tonight, and he'll uh, be speaking in the morning next week, kind of for three weeks. He's in Ordinand, um, in the uh, Church of England uh, and goes to the church that planted us, and he's over here doing his um, kind of his internship, uh, learning from me and my wisdom, which is very... Understandable. Very understandable. And uh, so we're glad that you're here. But Gareth and I, um, Gareth has te- been teaching on the kingdom of God. Uh, last week, this week, tonight, he'll do the same. And I've been trying to kind of correct his uh, teaching and, and co- no, actually compliment what he's been teaching. But uh, as he's been teaching about the kingdom of God, I spoke last uh, Sunday evening on why do we have a hard time receiving it? If everything is true, why do we have a hard time receiving it? Today I'm going to be talking a little bit more about that, and then how to begin to surrender. What does it mean to surrender to God? And then next week, really trying to flesh that out in the evening service, kind of to wrap up the six the six different teachings that we've done between us. And so, um, and so, I just want to before I begin, I want to tell you that the information for my three talks. Come from a book by a guy named East Stanley Jones, and it's called The Unshakable. I think it's called The Unshakable, Breakable Kingdom. And it's a book on the kingdom of God that I've been reading. And uh, it's just really, it's a great book. But everything that I say that is of any value, content, or that you will remember, I guarantee comes from the book. I plagiarized it major, majorly, and I'm not going to quote it because I'd be, end up quoting so much. And so just know that anything that I say that is powerful is coming from God through the book, okay? So um, beginning there, I won't need to apologize for, uh, for doing that. Um, but last week, I just want to give you a brief synopsis of what's, what's been said so far so that what I say today will have will make sense, okay? And so, just briefly, I want to talk about, you know, last week on Sunday morning, Gareth talked about our kingdom identity. And he said that we are God's representatives here on earth to bring about the kingdom of God or his reign here on earth. And, and, and he didn't say this, but what that is doing, and, and saying those things, what he's saying indirectly is, we believe church, we believe being a Christian means being God's representatives on earth for the purpose of bringing forth the kingdom. That's what it means to be a Christian. So anything other than that, or that conflicts with that, is, is not what Christianity should be or should be about. So it, that means that it's not about how many times you read the Bible. It's, being a Christian is not focused on managing your sin or your moral behavior. We believe all of those things flow out of having our eyes fixed on the kingdom, and being about bringing forth the kingdom of God, the power of God. Anybody who has been on a mission trip will know what I'm talking about and the experience of that. When you get out of this environment, all the trivial things that bother us in this environment, when we get focused on the kingdom of God, bringing forth the kingdom of God, all the normal things that we struggle with just kind of fall away. And that's what it means to be focused on the kingdom of God, identifying ourselves as His representatives, for the purpose of bringing forth this kingdom. That's what a Christian is. And he basically went on to talk about, we need to step into that identity and and do the stuff. Do the things that Jesus did. Believe that we are agents of transformation and restoration in people's lives. And then in the evening last week, I talked about why do we have a difficult time doing that, believing that. And basically it's because of our devotion to ourself. Um, That's the main thing that prevents the kingdom of God ...from moving forward. So when we ask the question... ...they talk about healing in this church... ...why don't I experience it? Physical healing. You know, they talk about restoration relationships... and ...why am I not experiencing that in my marriage? Or with my children. They talk about these things... ...these these theories that are kingdom principles... ...why aren't I experiencing them? And and, and some of the reason I talked about... ...was because of the mystery of the kingdom. And, and we don't have all the answers to that. And so we don't know why when we pray sometimes... And things don't happen like we should. We don't know. And we're not going to pretend to know. Or give you a formula that tells you what you should or should not be doing. But, but the other thing that we do have something to do with that prevents the kingdom from moving forward is our is self. And I talked about that last Sunday night. Basically, that we're self-aholics. That we're more interested in furthering our kingdom than God's kingdom. And that our kingdom, any kingdom for that matter... Directly opposes the kingdom of God. That you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve yourself and serve the kingdom of God. And then we said that, and, and the scripture I use is from Matthew 16, and um, and Jesus brings this to a head when Peter says, when Jesus basically says, "I'm going to Jerusalem to be killed," and and Peter sa- doesn't have anything to do with that because he's discipling his life after Jesus. So that means for Peter that I have to lay down my life, and Jesus basically tells him that. And Peter says, no, 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 no. That can't happen to you, Jesus. I don't want that to happen to you, Jesus. Because he knows that it's going to happen to him then. He says, I don't want that to happen to you, Jesus. And Jesus uses probably the strongest words. He says the strongest thing he says in the whole New Testament to this individual. He says, Peter, get behind me. Satan, get behind me. For your thoughts are not on the thoughts of God, but on the thoughts of man. A direct... Jesus just drawing out right? very clearly, very plainly, you cannot serve yourself, Peter. The thoughts of serving man and the thoughts of God are in opposition. You can't have both. And then Jesus goes on to say this. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it find it. And within the statement, we find the truth that we can only find ourselves, we can only discover who we were really created to be in the place of the kingdom of God. And so that in opposing the kingdom of God and serving ourselves, we will always oppose God. But what Jesus is saying is that you will be most powerful, you will be most complete, you will experience most more of my love, you will say and do things that you could never do. You will only come to discover who you are and finding your place in my Father's kingdom. And so when we oppose God's kingdom, we're naturally opposing what is actually best for us. When we try to serve ourselves, we are actually doing what will cause us the most harm. What will discourage us or prevent us from discovering who we really are. And that only in serving and finding our place in the kingdom of God will we find our place, will we really find ourselves and discover who we are. And so there's this irony for people who in an effort to do what is best for themselves, actually do what most prevents them from what is best for themselves. That what is best for us can only come in seeking to serve him and his interests. The dying to what we want and think is best. Does that make sense? That will catch you up to this point. Now, that's kind of confusing, and I'm not going to talk about necessarily all the answers today, about what does it mean to not serve ourself. But I want to talk about in this scripture, and this is a parallel scripture from Matthew, how we demonstrate in our lives and naturally oppose God's kingdom, and we don't think it. I, mean, I think one of the problems, for me at least, is that it's not that I want to oppose God's kingdom, it's that I'm opposing him and I don't know it. And that I'm working against him and I'm not even aware of it. And so don't hear me say today, this is like a lesson I'm I'm preaching to you because you're doing this and it's bad. Bad, bad, bad. I'm not doing that. What I'm saying is, myself along with all of us end up opposing the kingdom of God because so ingrained in our nature is the desire to serve ourselves that we don't even realize that we're, we're opposing the kingdom of God, and that we need His grace and His mercy to help us get out of that pattern. And so we see in this example that John read today in this parallel passage three different examples of conflict and that demonstrate our desire to serve ourselves and unintentional on the disciples in the same way that it's unintentional for us. In the first example, we see this happen in verse 46. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you, among you all, is the one who is great. Now, I don't know how many times I've been beat to death by the scripture, made to feel guilty, made to feel like I need to be a servant, sacrificial love, sacrificial love, you know, sell everything or you're going to die and go to hell. I mean, I mean, all of this, you know, whenever we read the scripture, I mean, you're waiting for me. It's like, okay, he's pulling out the bat. Just let you know, let me get close enough because he's going to whack me on the head with it and make me feel bad. He's going to beat me up with this verse. I mean, that's the way we approach Scripture like this, usually. And, I, and that's just, we know that that's not what Jesus intended to do. We know it's not. And so I think we have to take a fresh look at it. That he who is least among you is the one who is great. You know, notice that Jesus doesn't say that it's bad to be great in the kingdom. Jesus doesn't say that it's bad to pursue greatness in the kingdom of God. He doesn't. He's not saying that you should seek to be meek. He's not saying that you should seek to be powerless. You should seek to be less than everyone. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you should seek to be great in the kingdom of God. But he's telling us the way to find greatness in the kingdom of God is the exact opposite of the way we find greatness in the world. And that's one of the principles of the kingdom that you'll see drawn out as we teach about the kingdom. That it's often, the kingdom of God is often the exact opposite, functions in the exact opposite way, that the kingdom of the world functions. And so one of the ways to discern if you are blocking the kingdom of God coming into your life or serving yourself is to ask the question, am I succeeding in the eyes of the world's kingdom? Because if you are, there is a chance, not always, there is a chance that you are not becoming great in the kingdom of God then. That doesn't mean that we can't have hold offices of power in our country, or hold offices of prestige or of power in our businesses. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, what is your motivation to be great, or to be looked at as great, or to achieve things? Is it to serve and to sacrifice like Christ did, thus achieving the highest position possible in the kingdom next to the Father? Or is it to promote your agenda here on earth? I can tell you, I mean, all of us struggle with this. All of us, because we're self-aholics, want to be great. There's not a person in this room that doesn't want to be great, doesn't want to be famous, that doesn't want to be known for being great. Some of us hide it better than others. Some of us don't talk about it. We go on mission trips and we serve the poor and we do all these things to not really deal with the issue of wanting to be great. Remember what Garrett said last week. We are created in God's image. We are naturally given the desire to be God in our hearts, in our minds, in our very being. There is something within us that God has given us to be great. And so when we try to fake everyone out, we're actually serving ourselves, not the kingdom. And so we need to learn to embrace the reality that Gareth talked about. Our identity in the kingdom, to pursue greatness in the kingdom of God, to go for it, is not a bad thing. To be great in the kingdom is not a bad thing. But the conflict comes when we seek to be great in the world. And that's what was happening with the disciples. Jesus knew their reasoning. Who was the greatest? Jesus saw their heart to be famous. It's so easy for Satan to see the part of our heart that God has given us to be great and to twist it just enough to get us off, just off enough to where we quit seeking to be great in the kingdom and we start trying to be great in our kingdom and the kingdom of our friends and our families to be known, to be powerful. So that's the first conflict that comes an individual serving individual self against other individuals. The second clash is among two groups of people. In verse 49, it says, Jesus answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him, but he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. John says, Notice that we were going to do this because he did not follow us. Chapter 11, Jesus talks, about, uses similar language about not following me, about not following him. But John didn't say he's not following, they're not following you, Jesus. John says they're not following us, the disciples. They're not with us. They're not part of us. And I think that they were caught up in themselves in a way, even to the degree that they were willing and wanting devils, demons, To stay in these people. Brokenness. To stay in these people because they could not be the ones that would cast them out. And that's what that scripture says. And and that is a great example of denominational clash. Denominational conflict. Or team clash. Or team conflict. You might say, not in the church. That never happens in the church. Never. I mean, how many times have you put a church down? Or a Christian down. Or said something about them behind their back. Or saw something that they were doing. And because you weren't doing it, you were kind of jealous. And so you just say something to twist it enough to give you a little superiority. Oh, that church. Yeah, they don't, uh, they don't, they don't, um, give that much money to missions. Or look at how many, um, we were just talking last night. Look at how many grand pianos they have, you know? They can't love Jesus. They have too many grand pianos. You know, it's like we we want to corner the kingdom of God. It's like we want to corner the kingdom of God, and and and, and somehow there's not a room enough for everyone else. But but what's at the center of that is this desire to be first, to serve ourselves, and do what is best for us. You know, I saw this come out in me when it comes to sports and. Uh, and, and not, I'm not talking about supporting the Gators. I don't need to do that when supporting the Gators because they're national champions in every sport it seems that they play. So I don't need to, like, promote this Gator agenda. I never do that. But anyway, what it, but it, it, I saw it come out of me when, it, when I was coaching, like, youth basketball. And all of a sudden, what, I, I came into this coaching position. I never played basketball. You've heard my story. And you might, that might surprise you because of my large size. But anyway... My height, rather, because I know I'm not large anymore. But anyway, the, uh, but I, I went into this, you know, of coaching, like, yeah, this is going to be great. I'm going to encourage kids. I like, I'm like the guy who hates the coach. It's always yelling at the kids and making them, you know, winning everything. Well, We, I would never coached. Most of the players on my team had never played. I'm thinking, we're not going to win a game the whole season. This is going to be easy. I'm going to just love on them. I'll be praying for them, encouraging them, teaching them some basketball skills. I was on the Internet. I learned everything about basketball you can learn from the Internet. I was teaching them these drills. It was great until we won our first game, which was like the first game of the season. And then we won our second game and our third game. And all of a sudden, I started realizing during the game it was really hard for me to want to play all the kids the equal amount of time. Which was a principle that I began with. And, and then, you know, we got into the playoffs and I just turned into this person I didn't know anymore. And I really, I wanted to win. And I don't care if those kids are on the other team. I want my team to win. My team is better than your team and I want them to experience victory, you know? I justified it in all kinds of ways. And, I mean, it was just amazing how hard, or how, I don't want to say how hard my heart got, That sounds, but that's really what happened, is that Satan took this part of my heart that was originally good and, um, and just twisted it enough to make it evil. I was just plain evil. There's no other way. There's one, I'm not going to tell you what I did, because you might not come back to church, but <laughs> I'll just say this. There was an opportunity where we could have won because the other team didn't have enough players, And you would think in showing grace, I would just extend a little more time. Well, just to know, I didn't initially. My initial thought was, hey, we'll take the victory. But yeah, bring your kid and we'll play anyway. But we're going to take the victory. And then I kind of came to my senses and uh, my assistant coach helped me come to my senses. And uh, we extend grace and love and then beat him like a rented mule. But anyway. (laughs) You know, when we taste... Victory, success, or power. Um, it's so easy. It's so easy when we taste those things. Victory, power, success. For Satan to get a foothold there. It's so easy in our life for that to happen. He knows, again, that within each of us is the desire to be king. A desire to be God. To be great, powerful, victorious. He knows how to manipulate that just enough that he can turn it into evil. Just like he did with me. And, uh, and the result often is that we have conflicts within groups of people. But at the center of it, make no mistake, it's not the group that's having the conflict. It's the individual self opposing the kingdom of God. The third conflict is the biggest one. And it says this in verse 52. And he sent messengers ahead of, ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples and when his disciples, James and John, saw it, again, these are like the sons of thunder, you know, these are like Tommy Tough Guy and Billy Bad Boy, coming into the city, looking to represent Jesus and set up a place for him. They said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven And consumed them. But he turned and rebuked them. I mean, basically, this is the situation. And and this I'll show you that this is a racial conflict here. This is a racial conflict. Okay? So it's bigger than group. It's like involving a whole racial group of people. Okay? And basically what happens is the Samaritans hated the Jews so much. There was this conflict among their races to the degree that anybody who was going to Jerusalem that was passing through Samaria were not given places to stay. They shut down the hotels. They wouldn't, let, they wouldn't help them in any way. And they would bother them to the point that it was known that they would even kill people, Jews, who were heading to Jerusalem. And so that's the hatred, the self-interest, conflict that's coming out on their side. But then we see in the story, Jesus' disciples representing the Jewish nation or the Jewish race, wanting to come in and basically barbecue the Samaritans. I mean, that's what he wanted to do. It says, you know, the Bible says, consume them. You know, he says, holy fire from heaven. He's trying, you know, James and John, they're kind of trying to spiritualize it to make it better. But basically what they're saying is, Jesus, let us come in here and torch these suckers and annihilate them. Because that's what they deserve. Because they're not doing this. I mean, that, that is, the, at the root, at the heart of that conflict is their desire of separation. It's coming from opposing God's kingdom, from their desire to serve self and what they think is right. The root, at the root of the racial self is the individual self that, begin, that believes they are better than others based on their race, on their bloodline, who they are or where they've come from. Jesus would have none of this. And he rebuked them. There is no us and them in the kingdom of God. There is no division based on color of skin in the kingdom of God. There's no division based on socioeconomic class, where you live in the city. There's no division. And when we begin to say things like that in our church, or about people's race, or about people's this, or about where we live, or about this or that and the other, we bring Division. Instantly, we bring division. We create us-and-them mentality. People ask me all the time, you know, about our staff or about our church or what we're doing for racial reconciliation or about this kind of, you know, with this and that and the other. I say, I'm not doing that. That's not the kingdom. That is not what the kingdom of God is about. The kingdom of God is about furthering God's desires on earth as it is in heaven. Part of that is reconciliation racially, socioeconomically, spiritually, ...among religions? I mean, why aren't we talking about restoring our relationship with the Buddhists? With people that we differ in in the way we think about God? Are we fearful of that? And so we we don't want to talk about truth in that way that we don't engage? It's so easy for us to pick and choose the topics that we want to engage people on. But it's all racial. It's all believing that our way is the best way. And when we begin to draw lines... Rather than saying, look, we're, we're about loving people. That's what I tell people. When are you going to do this, when are you going to do that? We're, I don't know. Where, where are you going to move your church? I'm not sure. I want to be in the community. Why? I want to love. I want to bring restoration and healing. To both groups in our church. Both extremes in our church. All across the border. And we believe that if we focus our eyes on the kingdom of God, promoting the kingdom of God, bringing restoration and healing to where there's brokenness, where there's anger, where there's pain... If we focus on bringing God's agenda, everything else will fall into place. But when we focus on a side agenda, then we miss the kingdom of God. And we miss what we were created for. And so it's so important when it comes to this kind of conflict that we are intentional not to, to talk about differences, but to talk about similarities. We all love Jesus. And we love each other. And we want to bring that love to the world. I don't know who that is for. But it's for everyone. I don't know what that looks like. But we're going to bring it. We're going to bring it. And we're not going to draw lines. We're not going to bring division. We're only going to talk about God's kingdom and his love. And we're going to bring it the best that we can. The best way that we can. Why is the desire to serve self that we see come out here and in these stories so strong within us? What makes it so difficult for us to surrender to Him? We know that He knows best. We know that God knows best. We know that. We know that He loves us. We know that He will be faithful to us. So why is it so hard for us to surrender if we know those things? Everyone in this room, if I said raise your hand if you think that God knows better than you do, you'd raise your hand. That God will be faithful to you. You'd raise your hand. That God will love you. You'd raise your hand. Every single one of you would raise your hands. But I think the reason it's so hard is because of fear. I think fear is at the heart of, of, the, of, of preventing us from surrendering to God. We are afraid that if we surrender to ourself, if we surrender ourselves to him, that we will have nothing left. Who we are, after all, is everything we have. The only thing that truly belongs to us. Our thoughts, our desires, our dreams, and our emotions. All that makes us who we are handed over. That's terrifying. And that's terrifying for me. Everything of who I am that I really do possess that I control. Trusting to God. This is the basic fear that prevents us from surrendering to God. But it is a false fear. For the opposite happens. If we save ourselves, become centered on ourselves, we lose ourselves automatically. Every self-centered person is an unhappy and an unpopular person. They are first happy with themse- they are first unhappy with themselves. They do what they like, but then they do not like what they do. They have their way, and then they do not like their way. They express themselves, and and then they do not like the image of the self that they are expressing. Why? Because we were never intended to be at the center of the universe, or to be God. When we serve ourselves, we are placing ourselves in God's position. If you try to be God, organize your life around yourself as God, you run against the grain of the created universe. And like it or not, no matter how hard you try... The universe will not back you in this position. So stop trying. The universe will not support you as God. It it, it just won't. And so you will end up being miserable. And you will make people around you miserable. And so you become frustrated and then you try something else. And it all happens again. You and me, we were all made to belong and find our value in something greater and bigger than ourself. It's God's kingdom. That's what you're created for. That's where your identity comes from. You know, and again, these words, whoever will save his life will lose it. Whoever would lose his life for my sake and my higher cause, for the glory of my Father, he will find life. There are tons of movies written on this, based on this principle. You know, The Matrix. Think of Neo. Computer geek. Sitting in an office. Savior of the world. When he comes into who he really is. Think about Frodo. This is the best example, I think. You know, Hobbit, nobody in the land of nobody in the shire, totally out of power. Him and his buddies decide to be obedient to a path that they're called on to. And they become the saviors. They become a part of this greater story, this massive story. And in being a part of that story, they discover who they really are and what they're capable of. They also find value in their relationships with each other that they never would have found if they would have stayed on the Shire. And the same is true for us. As long as we stay in control, we will never have fulfilled lives. We will never have marriages as they could be. We will never have relationships and raise children as they could be, as long as we stay in control. We will never discover who we were created to be. We will never put ourselves in a position to be used in powerful ways because we're not even in the battle. We're anchored on shore. The storms are raging off the coast. And we just don't want to let out the anchor. So we stay in control. The journey is where we discover who we really are. It's where the excitement is. And we will only discover who we really are and what we're really capable of by stepping out and surrendering to God's plan for our life. Start living in a way that we believe God will provide and make up the difference. With our relationships, with our finances, with our families, and I could go on and on and on. But it starts with surrendering to his kingdom. You know, um, this, this is an analogy, a story that I think paints the picture of, where, of, of how it works, what it looks like to surrender to God. Because it's hard to think about, like, what does it mean to surrender to the kingdom of God? i want to talk more about that next week. But basically, this is, this is to me, the picture that I get when I think about it. It's like, w- whenever I was a kid, my dad and I, I lived in the South Florida, we used to sail all the time together. And we'd sail over to the Bahamas, and we'd sail different places. And uh, one day, we were going out, we were just checking the boat out and stuff, and we start going out, and the engine on the boat dies. And my dad's like, get up front, son, we've got drop to drop the anchor, you know, and we're in the channel. And all these, like, big, it's like Sunday, and all these big boats are coming, and we're just getting, like, rocked, and so we're going to anchor... Figure out what's going on or whatever. So I'm like, run up to the boat, and I have I'm holding the anchor in my hand. And I'm like, Dad, you want me to drop it now? He's like, not yet. I'm like, you want me to drop it now? Like, not yet. You want me to drop it now? And I'm, I'm just waiting to drop the anchor. And then all of a sudden, we run aground. I'm like, Dad, I should drop the anchor. We're on the ground now, you know. And I think that the reason I say that is because because many of us are so focused on staying in control, knowing when to drop the anchor, secure ourselves to different things in the world. That we end up staying in water that is so shallow that we don't even need an anchor. You know, we don't even need the anchor because we've run aground. And, we've, and, and, we, and we don't ever, we don't ever put ourselves in a position to, to need the anchor at all or to use the anchors in our life. Which is God desires to be Himself. That's not really the analogy. The analogy, that's just a funny story. The analogy is this. Is that we're created to sail in the open waters. Where our anchors don't reach the bottom. That's what we were created for. When when you talk about surrendering to the kingdom and to what God wants, it means being in water that is so deep that the anchor doesn't reach. The the anchor, there's nothing to secure ourselves to that we're in control of. There's nothing that we can secure or stabilize ourselves with except for God. But what we like and what we exhibit in our lives is we like to anchor in shallow water where it's comfortable And then we like to let out the rope. And we let out the rope. And we're like, this is good. I'm still anchored. I still control my finances. I give to the church when I have enough to give to the church. So we let out the rope. Well, that feels good. It's going to be tight this month. Didn't give anything to the church. But it's going to be, you know, I'm right here. I'm not going to let go of the rope because i got bills to pay. Or maybe it's with the gifts of the Spirit. We talk about the Holy Spirit. Well, I'm going to pray for people. I'm going to let out some rope. I know how to pray for people. I know how to pray for people. But I'm not going to really open myself up to, what are they talking about? Those gifts and pictures. and I'm not going to pray for healing because that just might not happen. And so I'm not going to risk that. So I'm going to hold on to my rope. Or maybe, you know, it's in relationships like Jonathan talked about. These people who were deeply wounded and hurt him. Believing. Do so I believe the deep water that God calls me into? That he'll provide for me in. But I believe that there is forgiveness for me to even offer these people who have hurt me. Because that's what I'm going to pray for. And that's what I want to be prayed for. And so he lets go of the rope. Floats off in the deep water where he has no control. Walks into an environment that's hostile and says, God, I trust you. Help me offer forgiveness. Help me bring what I can't bring on my own. He never would have experienced that if he would have held the rope. John Santorelli, it's the same story. Same thing. Do I I need the money? Do I trust myself? Is the job more important than going to church? And this is just an example. I'm not holding these against each other necessarily. But John says, I let go of the rope. I trust it and know that God wants me in church. That There's life there. I've been healed there. It's my family there. So I let go of the rope. I let go of the anchor. I let go of the security. And I allow God to bring me out to deep water. Trusting him. Thanks, God. I find myself in a job that I don't like. But he's let go. That's all we're called to do. It's to let go of the anchor rope. We can't control what God does when we're in deep water. But to surrender to the kingdom of God is to let go of the anchor rope. To let go of what we do control so that he can control us. In John's example, it never would have happened if he would have held the anchor rope. Or Kelly and what she said. If you don't let go of the anchor rope, you're still connected to shallow ground. Where there's no risk and there's no need. Where your ability to control your life is still the center of your life. And you oppose the powers of the kingdom of God coming in through you to change the circumstance in only a way that God can. This is what's the best of all. Best of all about what I'm talking about. Is that you will be able to love yourself. You will be able to love yourself and have yourself back in ways that are joyful And tolerable to you and others. You see, whenever you're at the center, you are a pain in the rear. To yourself, I've just talked about it. You'll be miserable. And to people around you. Because they're all trying to do the same thing. Why? Because when you love something, when you love his kingdom, and you love someone, when you love Christ more than you love yourself, you become lovable. Yourself in your own hands is a nightmare and a pain. Yourself in the hands of Christ becomes a life of tremendous possibility and power. Let's all stand.